I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, we're going to be covering data ethics, AI ethics, a topic that is so important. We're going to be covering privacy. How do we ensure that the data that we collect is relevant for our downstream analysis? How do we treat it if it's not mm -hmm. everything under our data ethics and privacy sun? For that, I couldn't think of anyone better. We have Jade Hart with us. She is the head of privacy and data ethics at National Australia Bank. Jade, thank you so much for joining us. How are you going today? I'm very well today. Thank you. How are you going? Very good and very excited uh, for this conversation. Um, I thought to kick us off, um, could you tell us a bit about your your background, your origin story, um, how, how you got into this space? And, uh, and then we can take it from there. I'd love to. Um, I just, I love hearing the word origin story because it makes you really think of like X-Men, like yeah. I have the Wolverine or something. Um, so it's probably not as exciting as that, but um, I'll, I'll give it a crack. Um, so I'm I'm a Māori and Pākehā woman, Ngāti Maniapōro, born in New Zealand. Um, and being from New Zealand is really part of my identity very much so um and i when i was thinking about this the origin i was sort of i went way back thinking about my childhood um because i um i always had a sense of public good i always really wanted to do the right thing i had a real strong sense of public uh, social justice um caring about people i really wanted to be a lawyer and i really wanted to work for government and that probably sounds a bit like tragic for like a young kid, but that's what I really wanted to do when I was young. Um, and I did start my job, my New Zealand career in government um, and working in Indigenous land rights. So um, I first started with law reform, so working on um, how law changes and how it can protect. Um, but the last role I had in New Zealand before I moved overseas um, was a bit of a, a, a highlight, I guess. For me, I was appointed as um, the registrar for the Waitangi Tribunal, and that's a permanent commission of inquiry in New Zealand. It hears claims by uh, Māori, iwi, or tribes um, about um, against the Crown, I guess, alleging breaches against the Treaty of Waitangi, which is our treaty um, between iwi and Crown, dating back to 1840. So I've always had this interest about um, doing right or trying to do right, um, and so I like working in places that are in ways that make me feel like I contribute, I'm giving something. Um, so when I moved overseas, I sort of did continue that theme, doing more legal work, um, but this time in protection of vulnerable adults, children, working in equality, anti-discrimination, and data protection. 
And um, it was really when I started working in data protection that I started to think, wow, there's a lot more to human rights, I guess, than, you know, as a lawyer, you can really spread yourself into. Um, you know, it's not, it's not just about working in um, a particular area. There are, there are so many different areas and working for corporations, I didn't, hadn't really appreciated how I could do that and still really think about how I stay true to myself about some more public interest and values. Um, so, yeah, privacy really became my, my place to hang my human rights flag. Um, and I've been doing that um, for some time now um, and predominantly working just in, uh, in privacy since I've been living in Australia. So um, I really dug my heels in there and data ethics just came as a natural sort of development for me in that field. I, I moved from doing uh, more legal work to sort of helping the business understand about how we can apply um, ethics to the use of data and make sure we're, we're being responsible not just um, thinking about legal compliance. Um, so for me, very lucky to be able to be part of setting up the data ethics framework at, at NAB. Um, had amazing support from senior leaders here. Um, and at NAB, we really talk about doing the right thing. So that's um, that's how you treat people and treat your customers, but that's also how you should be thinking about your the, their, their data. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it has always been about people E tangata, he tangata, that's my angle um, that drives me, people and relationships. And um, and anyone that will know me will definitely know I'm a people person. Um, and I just think I'm lucky enough, I guess, to work in a company which, um, yeah, focuses on having relationships. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of how I ended up in, in data ethics and I am learning every day and continue to learn <laughs> every day in this space. The best, the best. I love, I love the themes. I love the journey. And and it's it's so great to see um, that an organization like NERB is having you know a, a whole of business approach to data ethics um, that you know in in other organizations years ago it was uh, it was seen as kind of like the the data scientist job or yes. side gig almost um, yeah yeah it definitely needs everyone to come together um, so I love that that's that that's happening uh, at the bank. Um, and before we, we jump more into um, data ethics, I did want to ask you about the data and AI month. So I've heard, yeah, I've heard uh, really good things. Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative? Sure thing. Very happy to. Um, so um, this is the month of August. So it's our, uh, we've been uh, doing this throughout throughout the whole month. Uh, it's a program of events that's really been designed to sort of engage everyone across the organization. So it's not just talking to people who are in one division. It's really opening it all up to get those connections happening and also just to share the stories, I guess, of what's going on. We really want to help people who work for us understand that that's what we want to be. We want to be a data-driven organization. But we also recognize that you have to bring everyone along that data journey for lack of a better frame um together so it's about uplifting and enhancing everyone's data literacy there have been i believe this month we've been able to run 70 events um and had over twelve thousand attendees at events so that's a huge amount yeah like um last year was the first year we we kicked this off and we had we had uh, 50 events which was I won't tell you something for nothing. It was a big month. It was very big. Um, so somehow we managed to even squeeze in more. 
Um, and we had 7,000 attendees last year. So we've really kicked it out of the park for this year. Um, so we've had success stories, people saying about what they're doing and in the bank. We've had um, our CEO, Ross McEwen, attending. We've had our partners been coming in. So we've had people from the um, AFL and AWS and Microsoft. We've had some of our business customers come in and talk about how they use technology and how it works for them. Um, yeah, so it's been a really nice opportunity to get people together, but also to to learn. Um, and I think it can be difficult finding time in your day to day work life to have that sort of opportunity to do to do learning. And so um, they recorded all the events, and so if you haven't actually been able to see something live because some are hybrid events in person, some are Zoom we can go back and, and sort of take it all in. Or I've even had people in my team talk about how they've gone back and re-listened to something. And I was like, that's such nice feedback. But that's yeah. great. It's really great. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a really big deal. And everyone's probably going to be quite exhausted for <laughs> next week once everything's over. For sure. For sure. What a huge month. And the preparation uh, leading up to it would have been massive as well. Uh, well, well done. Well done. I will um, share that. Thanks. I will share that. Yeah, definitely. That is that is amazing. And I, uh, I, it continues with the theme that we were talking about before about making you know everyone in the organization uh, more aware about data and AI, and bringing them into the fold, and seeing it really as a as a team sport. Um, that it's it's not yeah it's not only about exactly. it's not just exactly it's not just about the data scientists in a room anymore you have to absolutely get people um, who are applying the technology as well as the people who um, even if they're not doing it in the day to day role it all impacts us um, as a society and you know hearing someone explain it in the office which you actually you might know them maybe a, a softer way or a gentler way of learning about a new skill without having to feel like you've got to go find it out for yourself. So it's been a big success. Yes. Ah, I love it. I love it. So good. Um, so then let's start jumping into into the data ethics uh, components. One of the first ones that I wanted to uh, get your thoughts is around misappropriation uh, and and get, get your views when data is collected uh, for one purpose, um, Often, often related to to payments across all industries, and then we want to start using it uh, for uh, customer analysis, predictive models, um, and we have kind of like that proxy that might have some of the signal that we're looking for, but not not maybe not an awesome fit. Um, what do you think about this this space? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you know having a privacy lens on this, it's really important if we're going to do anything with personal information that it's very transparent. We don't want people, there might be so many new things that are coming up to to do. You have to always be remembering what have we told people and, and shared with them that we want to do with their data. Um, and I do think, um, you know, making sure that it's very uh, clear and, you know, transparent and that people understand what's happening. Um, that's a, that's a, you know, there are legal obligations to do to do that, but also it's just trying to ensure that you're thinking about um, not just the latest new tool, but actually how you help people understand why you might be doing some of this work. So, you know, using, creating models and using algorithms isn't necessarily something like brand new. Um, you know, banks have been using models for years and years and years to help um, better be better at understanding, um, you know, credit 
decisioning and being able to assist with that process. Um, so banks are often, you know, sort of old hat really when it comes to creating a lot of models. But um, you know, d- how, how does everyone understand it, and where's and where's the human interaction point? Is probably some of the things that we're we're trying to make sure that we're always um, being very mindful of where the handover is from, sort of behind or back end sort of manipulation versus are we starting to do something with a customer direct and how do we make sure that they understand which is, um, you know, where's a real person or where's, where's a machine helping them. Um, but I, I find the whole conversation about misappropriation um, with data at the minute so interesting because we've obviously got a lot of tools out there now that are, um, you know, have really absorbed all this information from the internet and, um, you know, websites, articles, Reddit, uh, all the good places, um, you know, and they're, and they're sort of like creating and monetizing and, and, and making new stuff from that. Um, and it's really hard to sort of understand um, uh, what are going to be the impacts on some of this because they haven't necessarily, you know, come out and said, this is where we've got all our data from. Yeah. Um, and that's the age-old question, I think. Anytime someone wants to talk about ethics, I think it's always remembering, like, where did this stuff come from? Mm. Uh, or, or what was the data that trained this model that we're applying, that we're thinking about and always really coming back to like the data, how appropriate it is to be using it in the first place. Um, and I think obviously when you're creating it internally and you've, and you've collected the data directly from customers, that's a very different position than when people are scraping off information from um, so-called public so- sources when people may have no idea who, who those parties are that are doing the scraping and then not then know what's happening and, and how their data could be being used. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's just a really interesting area with um, the creative side too of misappropriation. We've got, you know, the lawyer in me wants to worry about all the people with their copyrights, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out there. There's a lot of litigation at the minute, I think, happening in the, in the U.S., um, about um, people being worried about, you know, losing their creative voice because their pictures have been used and, and they train these models and how can they prove that? Um, but I think also with technology, we're going to figure out how do we fix those problems? So yeah. having watermarks or thinking about other sorts of ways that we can use AI to actually prevent AI from taking your images to do some of the stuff. So it's definitely going to be a watch this space um gen- generally but i think for us it's very much about coming back to basics about where did that data come from and making sure we're always really confident in our own sourcing and collection practices i love it i love it so definitely um informed consent as as number one and then um i also really like your views of um that when we develop new technology it will always be a double-edged sword um, yeah. since, since the beginning of time it's been like that yeah. but having the you know the optimism to say that you know technology will continue to help us improve the technology that we've created and and, and the issues that it, that that um that or unintended consequences that come with those development yeah. of technologies uh so i i think that's a really really nice lens to it um not really good and for um for a lot of people that maybe don't spend too much time on on the ethics uh, side, maybe yet, or or for them, um, 
how would you provide them a um, kind of like a, a singular view of ethics, something that that we can uh, use as a as a guiding light or or as a bit of a beacon, something that we can start to move towards. Yeah. Um, obviously, a big a big question, but any any thoughts on how people can yeah start to think about or, or develop a kind of like a singular view of ethics? Yes, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, you know ethics principles or AI ethics principles have been a lot produced. You know, we have our own. There are everyone has their own set. Um, but um, there often isn't like a necessarily a one-stop shop where you can absolutely pick it up. But there are so many uh, complementary themes and the ones that are out there. So definitely thinking about, um, you know, fairness um, absolutely has, has to be part of it. And I think fairness, again, I'm you know, I've got my privacy professional lens on, but um, it's something which we have to think about um deeply because it's not just about how you collect that information being fair but is it is the ongoing use and and um, any sort of work you may do with that data is it fair um uh you know it's being transparent we've talked about that already um you know making sure that people understand when technology is um i guess interrupting your normal day-to-day um interactions um you know making it really clear that this is assisted or automation um, and and I think part of that really is going to be um, having a pause when you're thinking about um, your work and thinking about creating or a problem that you're trying to solve and trying to fix it with technology is really having that confidence to go, right, we don't just have to pick any old tool. Let's just have a think about how this impacts impacts us. Like what are the benefits? Like is it actually worth doing it this way? Could there be a simpler way? I mean, at the minute I think, Everyone is very excited, obviously, and there's been a huge leap, like a really big leap at the minute with AI, generative AI especially. Um, so there's obviously a, a great um, excitement to sort of understanding how that can be used. Um, but I also think like, you know, we've got to also understand what are our problems to solve. So knowing that um, we've got, you know, having the strength to say we have a we pause or we really consider benefits, you know, harms, impacts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unintended consequences so yeah one of the other things fairness and um, transparency but also yeah doing the work doing that impact assessment sort of piece of it um and there are a lot of um there are a lot of frameworks out there that people can look to like you know when you think about your own morals or values they are very different from you know person to person and jurisdiction to jurisdiction maybe you know all your experiences beliefs religion um, but if you could, and there are so there's definitely consistency and common themes in some of the um, ethical frameworks available. So um, the EU AI Act, which mm-hmm. is still very much in flux, flux, but that's that whole goal of that act is to create some um, global standards, some consistency. Um, and at the minute, they can't quite agree on all the consistency. Um, but there's, you know, there's going to be differently things in there that people can learn from. And I think there's the takeaway again is that whole making sure you've got consistency and 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 your standardisation. Um, the NIST, so the National Institute for um, of Standards and Technology, the US framework, they've they've got an AI um, risk management framework as well, and. Um, that's been looked in and explored to help lots of different countries, not just the US, um, to develop policy and something there. And one of the things I really like, um, one of their takeaways or focus, is that they're trying to not just think about 
I guess, the, you know, is it accurate? Uh, is it safe? Does it work? It's mm. also that socio-technical um, lens. And um, in our data ethics team at the bank, that's definitely the, the lens that we bring, that socio social dimension lens to really think about how does this actually impact our customers? Um, does it have an impact on community? Um, if we're using data or could we use data in a way that could help community? Um, I think that societal impact, especially as things get bigger, it's going to be a really interesting space to sort of see and hear where the voices are coming from on that. Yes. Oh, that is so interesting. Yes. To think about, um, yeah, the, the, the impact of the, um, beyond the immediate application. Yeah. Yeah. The application creates a, a change in the world. And does that change have the impact that is aligned with what the impact that we want to have? And exactly. And I think sometimes like it's hard, right? This is all new stuff. And a lot of the yeah. a lot of the unintended consequences are because we cannot fathom them. And I and I think there's gonna be a lot of um a lot of experimentation, a lot of exploration. But if we can, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we all just had, you know, a, a, a common set of goals across the world, um, which we don't really have in any area. But we do think about safety, obviously, being pretty consistent, aviation safety, maritime safety, um, road safety. Like that's something like I think the safety element sometimes of what we're doing here with technology is something which people perhaps can have a common grounding on. We, we want things to be used so that people get are better enabled and it enriches our customers' experience. Um, it also, um, you know, not just companies like banks, but also I think like governments also be thinking about how it helps citizens. And um, and so, yeah, I think that long-term, longitudinal impact approach, that's really where we need to start thinking about not just um, not just the output, but on outcomes, I think, is probably the, the right yes. word at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I love, I love that answer. Um, it's got so, so much to it. Uh, so maybe let's let's dive into one of the aspects. I really like your comments around fairness um, and and transparency. Um, when we think about the um, subsequent analysis that we can do with with data, when we think about also data collection, how do we how do we ensure that we have um, safeguard against biases and ensure fairness in the data collection and then the the analysis that that come downstream. Yeah, yeah, and you can as, as you can imagine, being in a, in a working in a bank, we have access to a lot of data, and I think the first thing you just have to be very aware of is that just because we have a lot of data doesn't mean it's perfect. So we will have absolutely when you're thinking about what your data is, you have to just know that there is going to be bias in there. Um, and that has to be your starting point. And anyone who doesn't think that's their starting point is probably fooling themselves. Um, but it's also about trying to think about that from end to end. So, you know, thinking about collections right at the beginning, um, yeah, making it sure that it's um, that people understand. But also if you're, if you're collecting it directly, that um, you know, you're meeting all your legal requirements, of course, but I mean that you're also just trying to think about what would people expect. So is this is this collection something which you really need? You know, are you always applying data minimization when you're doing things like this? Um, and also being aware that, um, you know, community, what community attitudes are. We've heard a lot about <laughs> community attitudes. I think are all, everyone's very nervous at the minute with personal information 
um, having so many very large data breaches in Australia over the last 12 months. Um, it's not been a great time for people when you know, anyone has got an identif- identification document has probably been impacted at some point. And, you know, it's it's terrible. It's really heartbreaking, especially people who are impacted more than once. Um, so we really have to start thinking about when we need to collect things. Um, and while some entities will have legal obligations to do things like that, others won't. And we've really got to start being more um, open to the idea of how do we, what data we really need to do our work and what other things that perhaps are really nice to have and maybe aren't that nice to have anymore because mm-hmm. of data breaches. Um, so making sure that, um, uh, yeah, fairness and reasonableness are very key concepts under the Privacy Act. Um, and it's objective of the Privacy Act too. So the reforms that are coming, I think they're going to put a lot more emphasis on that um, that fairness element and making sure that um, when you're doing activities with data or personal information, that it's not just that the collection was, was fair or wasn't unfair, um, it's that all your activities are seen as reasonable and they're not going to result in harms. And that to me has a very nice connection to ethics. Yeah. We should be thinking about how to prevent unjustifiable, you know, unjustified harms. We want to protect people from bad stuff, basically. Um, and I, I think in terms of the sort of subsequent analysis piece, um, yeah, understanding that when you're going through and, and training models and using that data, that you've got a really representative bunch of people doing that work. Um, and that you're looking around the room and seeing people that look like your customers. Um, and if you don't, how are you how are you going to address that? Um, we want to we want to work with people that all have a diverse view, so that that'll help us do better at reviewing our data. Um, and and I guess the thing is too, when you're reviewing, it's not just the data scientists reviewing the data science. Um, you know, you really need other lenses, not always technical, which is why I'm I'm definitely not a technical expert, and I love working in data ethics because I get to sort of flex my other other skills um, and help people think about um, bias and and other issues a little bit differently. So true, so true, and that's and that's key. Like it's it's critical to have uh, multiple perspectives, multiple voices in in there, and for for us to actively and openly talk about you know the the metrics that we're trying to optimize for in in our predictive models and. Um, so, for example, like in the last few years, I've been working in healthcare, and there's organizations um, in the US that have gotten in trouble because their predictive models were optimizing to target people where they can reduce the cost of healthcare the most. Um, and then the bias that that introduced is that the people that was being targeted were the ones that were able to spend the most in healthcare. Um, and then that meant that they were getting more better. Um, support um, to minimize that cost and sort of maximize the the gains there. Um, and there was a you know, like a trick missed that it's easier to see in hindsight that they could have optimized for uh, clinical outcomes or clinical improvement or or health benefits, um, and they would have had a, a much better uh, or, or a much fairer targeting um, uh, of the support that they were able to provide. And um, so having those conversations, um, having those 
questions really even around what what is the metric that we're optimizing for uh, is really important. And I think that, that that actually links to the next question that I wanted to ask you um, based based on your answer before around the um, evaluation of broader societal impact um, uh, of, of, of the of the data-driven technologies. How, how do you guys think about that um, kind of like the cascading impacts of having these decisions? Um, how yeah, how do you think about it? How do you work through those um, those downstream impacts and bringing them to life into the uh, applications that are being built? Yeah, well, I love this question because um, this is where the, my people um, element kicks in. And I think that's the thing. I think when we're thinking about technology, sometimes we're so focused on what the tool is that um, we can sort of skip and forget that we're applying the tool to people. Um, and whether we're talking about you know citizens of a country or a state um, or we're talking about customers in our instance, um, that's who we're talking about. It is, is this, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's how does it help um, and how does it impact and how does it benefit our people? Um, and I think if you have, um, again, like my origin story, like the reason I care about people was because, um, you know, there are inherent rights that we really want protected as living in, in society, yeah, human rights. And if you have a human right focused, I think, on understanding your technology and assessing and reviewing technology, it puts you on a really different path than if you're just thinking about, does it work? Does I, do I get the output I needed? Um, you know what we should be asking is about how does this how does this enhance an experience for our customers? Um, you know, does this actually help a pain point or remove a pain point for our my staff, our employees? Um, and I think if you're actively thinking about that impact in that way, you actually get very different responses. And it may not mean that you've created something that you can't use. It may be that you just your eyes are wide open as to what the impacts are. You know what the risks are um, and the harms and the benefits. Then you've got your eyes open. You can figure out how to mitigate, or you might be pleasantly surprised that there's a really nice outcome. Uh, therefore, you should celebrate that. You know, not everything. Um, you know, we talked about technology not being neutral, but it doesn't mean everything that we create that's an advancement is bad either. We want to celebrate when we get those like wins and how we can help our customers and we can help, you know, relieve a pain point for for staff and employees as well. So um, that's where I feel like um, impact assessments are just so crucial mm. because asking the right questions digs into that detail. Um, you know, I work in a bank, we're heavily regulated, we have a lot of ass assessments and reviews we have to do. Um, you know, I, I head up our privacy team, so we're all very familiar with privacy impact assessments. We've also been doing data ethics assessments for four years now um, and operationalizing ethics into reviews. So not just saying, you know, we've got some nice principles, but really crunching it and saying, how does it fit? Um, because some principles could be very aspirational, but unless you can see what the, all the impacts are and ask the right questions, you're never going to know how you balance things out um, because maybe speed is, um, you know, a key driver for something. But maybe if you turn down speed, you've got a better outcome on something else. Um, so um, also lawyer and me love a worst case scenario. Yeah. Uh, so, but when you're thinking about, you know, someone's coming in to talk about this beautiful new technology, they're only ever thinking um, blue sky. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so together, blue sky and worst case scenario, you, you, you figure it out. Um, and But by having both ends though, you can see whether it actually delivers your blue sky. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't the blue sky this time. Maybe it's something more practical. But um, I think, yeah, having that having that is a really good starting point to know, get people in together, feel like the questions are contributing to start developing something better rather than seeing impact assessments as like a, um, you know, like a block. There should be a way to give value. I feel great when we do a data ethics assessment and someone says that's made genuine change to what we were doing. Like that makes me feel so good. Um, and then there are other things that I think, you know what, we don't really need to be across this as much because we won't be adding any value here. You got it. Um, and that's super powerful too. It makes me also feel good because I don't want data ethics to ever be a checkbox because it's not really doing much then. You know, that's that's what someone else can figure that, that stuff up. I'm not here about having a checkbox. It's really about to add value. Um, and I think you see it when you can do that balance. Um and yeah, that's why I'm very passionate about it because I get to put the sort of all my things that I am interested in. Um, but one of the one of the just a tiny bit to add on this yeah. uh, point of thinking about societal impacts. I think we've often been really focused on the individual, so we're really worried about how does it impact yeah. that customer. Um, mm-hmm. And if we start thinking, I think a little bit more about the societal harms and the harms to the group. I feel like that's where we're going to be really making some some leaps. So we do have a focus on community with, um, and in our in our data principles, often thinking about what we could do for that that for that for a segment or or that or the whole or Australia. Um, but you know, I think when you start thinking about longitudinal impacts and not just a a once off yeah. thing, that's so powerful. And I and I you know and I've been doing a little research. In this space, um, absolutely plagiarizing um, wildly. Um, there's amazing research or some papers being um, coming out of um, Hayu Leuven from the university in, in Belgium um, by a woman called um, Natalie Smuha. And she talks about um, having, like, yeah, thinking more if you're, an, if you're a policymaker on that societal really impact, um, you know, thinking about public review. Um, thinking about monitoring, thinking about people having rights to say, hey, this doesn't impact me, mm. but if there's a public impact, then there should be an ability to sort of talk about that. Yeah. And I think that you know, that's very much aligned to human rights and procedures. Um, so I just think it's a natural progression. It just sort of fits together nicely. It's just um, it's just a good framing, I think, to have. Yes, that's that is really nice. That is really nice. I um no, I really I really, really like that. And I think it's it's just it's so important and it's it's difficult to do, but prioritizing it is key. And and at least for me in my career, I I I learned to see the value of um impact assessments, for example. I, I learned to see them embarrassingly late. And it's something that like I wish I had um, appreciate it earlier, earlier on, and appreciate it as the support and the the how to bring better progress. Um, instead of yeah, having kind of like that um, negative mindset from the start, yeah. that I was like, oh, this is just kind of delay the work and it's going to be painful. 
Instead, yeah. it's going to tell us where the landmines are. Yeah, like, I couldn't agree more. And I think I think it's about trying to get that different, you know, cultural expectation because I think a lot of times people don't want to do something because they think it's going to slow me down. Um, I don't understand the value of it, and I know I have to do it, but mm-hmm. you know, and that that's not really. I I don't want to be in charge of running out. Um, lots of assessments just because people have to do it. Like it feels so much more rewarding professionally, but also like to see actual change. Um, and there are a lot of things that we we hear about, and we're like, "This is super complex. We can't. Don't have a don't have a ready made cookie answer for you." But this is exciting. You're doing something really new. Um, and so yeah, I've been trying to um, you know we're 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 going. We are being very deliberate in some of our approaches to considering. Um, AI technologies at the minute and, and that's one of the things it's about trying to say we're excited to try these things we, drop, we want to do it safely we want to take the time and like talk with our risk colleagues and talk with the business and talk with people who, so, who are front line so they can actually say this would help a job this would help the bankers this would help our customers rather than just sort of be like someone runs off and just creates the thing the widget here it is go, go put the widget out there I think it's a, it's I think it will lead to better outcomes. Like, you know, yeah. societal, that's a big lofty gain, but I mean, like, internally, it'll lead to better outcomes and people feel more bought in. Like, it's one on one management. You want to bring everyone on really along along the ride. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but also, I think um, uh, a lot of your, your answer has been touching on what I wanted to, to ask you next, which was around how do we build? trust and confidence in, in AI. And I really yeah. like, I, I wanted to ask you because I really like the, the, the human lens that you have throughout that, you know, at an individual level and at a collective. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll ask you, ask you anyway, um, how, how can we build um, trust in, in AI? In AI, yeah. Well, I think um, number one is being safe. Um, so, you know, taking, taking your time to understand what you're doing, you're not just like head down, let's go for it. You're being considered. And I think being safe and considered absolutely means that you are, you're doing that discussion. You're having those impact. You're really teasing out benefits, harms, consequences, good stuff, bad stuff, whatever, everything. Um, and I, and I think it also comes back to, um, by having that trust is by being fair and using things that feel fair. So people are like, I expect that. Ah, you know, that makes sense to me. Um, and maybe even it starts to delight people. Wouldn't that be lovely? Like I think if people, you know, really got something out of it, they see the benefit and then it does build um, confidence. Um, I think in Australia we've had um, the Australian public has probably had a bit of a mixed experience to date. You know, if you look at various media headlines about um, perhaps some of the things that haven't worked so well, uh, so-called AI, not necessarily everything's been AI, but there's been probably a lot of negative sort of reaction to some things that just haven't gone particularly well. Um, and so I think I think showing, being transparent about when about some of the use cases that are going well, showing the benefits, I think helping being very open and and saying if that didn't work, this is or we're not we decided not to go through to use something. Yeah. Having something conversations like that, that would be so powerful because we're you know, we're exploring and saying, you know, we tried this, it wasn't as good as we thought it was gonna be. But 
that being safe but I think really means that when you're trialing it you're doing it in contained environments you're not just pushing it out to millions of people and that's really the approach that we're taking here is very much contained you know experiments um the other thing I think to to help build trust and confidence is education it has to be everyone's responsibility government are obviously going to be thinking about um how to help everyone understand more about some of the things that they'd be using but even just generally um you know nabs had obviously a big commitment to learning hours with data and ai months um i I would definitely implore all sorts of you know regardless of your size of organization or on your personal circumstances you know get out there there are some really um common uh i guess um uh, phrases or terms, uh, uh, technical terms that once you grasp them, you grasp a lot. Um, you know, most people will probably hit a play with chat GPT um, in their personal capacity um, and haven't really given two thoughts about what that all means. Um, and maybe, you know, in your personal capacity, you might not feel like you need to. Um, but I guess it's also saying that you don't have to be a technical expert to sort of have a, you know, to look at some of these things. Um, but being aware of what you um, put in is very important. So the education piece on, um, you know, if there are public things available, be mindful that this is public. So therefore, what how you treat it should be thinking about it as public. Um, so, but the, yeah, I think there's a lot of really key, key um, terms that, and concepts that once you grasp them, then you start to learn more. Like I definitely wasn't reading about you know, neural networks a few years ago and now I'm sort of like, oh, that's how that works in neural networks, you know. But, you know, th- saying that aloud might freak some people out. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about l- language models, um, you know, people have been like, what's that? You know, ChatGPT is using a language model. There's lots of things that I think um, may have been a bit scary, but now we can start to learn what they are. And then you can make your own decision about whether you want to play in that field or not there are a lot of other consequences for obviously putting in the wrong type of data or, yep. or your own sensitive data into open tools which i won't go into but i think um i think education is very 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 key very very key because then people can make decisions with the understanding with the awareness and as you say it it's not it it's not a super high bar um that yeah for example understand to learn it Believe everyone can learn it. No, it, <laughs> no, it's it's like there there's some some things that is like saying understanding that when you're interacting with a large language model, you are sharing that information yeah. with the organization, and that that information is going to be overseas. Um, yeah. That and, and that therefore you should be looking at information but that. Is, yeah, and have a think yeah. about it. I mean, and it, and it might not change your behavior, but I think. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. What you said, like being aware, lets you have more choice, and then you decide. Um, and that's what I think. Um, you know, there's a real enablement element here with ethics. I think, like, you know, it's not just about stopping; it's actually about saying, how do we enable you to do something safely and responsibly? Yeah. And I think, yeah, by helping people understand some of these concepts or, or basic framing, like, oh, I'm actually giving them something. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Okay, then I I won't put in my name. I might I might put in something else, but I'm not gonna put in my name. Um, you know, little things like that. I think that's just yeah, that and that should build um awareness, I think, will build confidence essentially. Correct. Correct. Because that, that awareness when it developed in social media, 
it really changed people's perception. Like I remember this. Oh my God. Yeah, right. I remember on Facebook when people were checking in everywhere that they were saying and showing it publicly saying, I'm here, now I'm here, now I'm here. This is the person who I'm with. Check yep. out my pictures and making everything public. And then people yep. went, oh shit, like now that's going to be everywhere. Um, 100%. Then yeah. it I know, and like people used to go on there and like go, oh, my hobbies, and go like, just put in all this data um, and fill out every single question. And then they asked you more questions, and people used to do that. No one turned their mind. Everyone just thought that was fun. Um, and it is it is fun, but it's also like you have to be aware of the choice you're making, which is you are sharing a whole bunch of insight, um, and you get to decide to do that or not. You don't have to do it, and maybe it's not a great idea to put lots of detail about you because sadly, and this is one of the big things about safety, is that although some of this technology is amazing, we're going to have to be really smart about how we protect ourselves from when the bad guys use this stuff or use these technologies as well. So, um, yeah, being 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 smart about what you share is, I think, is such an important lesson that everyone, every age, needs to appreciate. I love it. I love it. It's so true. And I I think that is the excellent note to to end on as well. Jade, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time, for your perspectives, for sharing your your experience and your knowledge. That is phenomenal for putting privacy and ethics in in a way that makes technical people want to engage, see it as a value add. I think I think it's critical. And as I said, like I learned it way too late in my career, but the way that you describe it really makes it appealing and really highlights the value. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us today. Pleasure. Oh, it's been really lovely to have a chat about this, you know. Love talking about people, love talking about human rights and privacy and death and ethics. So it's lovely to be on um, Data Futurology. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.